Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to a very special edition of the Empire Podcast. Peter Jackson's They Shall Not Grow Old, which is in UK cinemas now, is a startling and technically stunning documentary about the First World War, which uses brand new technology to restore and upgrade archive footage shot during that war, which ended 100 years ago this year. The new footage, colorized for a large, long stretch during the film, offers an eye-opening insight into the horrors the soldiers went through in that war, but also shines a light on the unexpected camaraderie that they forged amidst such horrendous circumstances. It's Jackson's first documentary proper and is a must-see. Jackson, brave in a dose of jet lag that would floor a Nazgul, came into the giant big sure we've built in the shape of a pod booth last week to talk to myself and Jackson's superfan Nick Dissemlian about how and why he made this film. We also talked about other stuff, of course, but if you've come here looking for tales of hobbits and wizards and orcs, you've come to the wrong place. The bulk of the half-hour conversation focuses on They Shall Not Grow Old, before branching off into the earliest reaches of Jackson's career, including his Gru trilogy of Bad Taste, Brain Dead, and Meet the Feebles. Maybe we'll get him back one day to talk about rings and nothing about rings. For now, though, do please enjoy this fascinating chat with one of the greatest living filmmakers. We are delighted to be joined on the Empire podcast by the director of Lay Shall Not Grow Old, the great Peter Jackson. How are you, sir? I'm feeling good, yeah. Okay, tired but good. <laughs> Do you know where you are? He said well, it just before we started. This is Switzerland. They told me it was Switzerland. <laughs> it's all good. Good to, good to have you on the show. Um, Thank, you. Thank you. This is a fantastic film. It is a mind-blowing film. Uh, it is, I would say, an important film as well mm. because I think this is the Great War is in danger of becoming the Forgotten War in many ways. Is that you, one of the reasons why you wanted to make well, it? Well, I'd also say it's in danger of becoming the cliched war too. Okay, in what way? You know, but, well, I think we all have imposed our sort of image of the First World War and, and you know, the same as, as I had of, you know, we sent a, a generation of youth into the industrial meat, meat minks ever to, you know, to, dis, to destroy them forever and scar them forever and, you know, and they never came, when they were never the same again. You know, and, and, and in some respects, none of, none of that is wrong, but, mm-hmm. but it's not how the guys were there. I discovered, listening to all these audio tapes, it's not, not how they actually felt about it. Mm-hmm. You know, so we've imposed a sort of a view of the soldiers that never wanted to talk about the war that were forever traumatised by it. And yet I'm hearing all this audio tape of people saying it was the best, the best time of their lives. If they had to do it again, they'd, they had to do it in a second. You know, the, mm. was sort of the exact opposite of what I actually thought. And, and I realised, you know, n- none of it's a takeaway from the horror of the war or the reality of what they went through, but they 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 don't have self pity. They don't. They're not asking for our pity. They're not acting the role of a victim themselves because they didn't feel like a victim. You know, mm-hmm. They, they mm-hmm. say we we, we you know, some guy says we we knew it was going to be tough and it was tough, but we we had to do it. So we so we just did it. You know, they had a very pragmatic attitude towards the whole thing, which was interesting. Mm. So, so where did the, uh, the the film come from for you? And just to just establish it for people who haven't seen it yet, you found archive footage from World War well, the One. Film, the film created itself in a weird way. I can explain it very quickly. Cause yeah, of course. Can, I mean, the film sort of, I didn't know what the film was going to be. I, the, it started with me being invited to a meeting at the Imperial War Museum about four years ago. And they asked me to make a documentary for the centenary. Um, I said, sure, you know, I, you know, I've always had an interest in the First World War. Mm. And their only brief, it's, they, they really, you know, it was very open. They said, look, it can be about anything we want. But we'd love to see to have our film archive of original footage used in a unique and different way. That's sort of what it was. Well, okay, unique and different. <laughs> and all I could think of running my head were all these documentaries I'd seen, which is the same old footage and the same old historians walking around 
I, I just couldn't think of a unique and different way. And so I said, look, just let me think about it for a bit. And I went back to New Zealand and I and the first thought that came into my head, because I didn't know what this would be, and the first thought that came into my head was, um, I, you know, with all the computer firepower we've got down in New Zealand, if we use that those computers to restore this footage, how well could we restore it? You know, because people restore stuff, but, you know, has anyone ever used all this modern computer technology to, to deal with old, you know, 100-year-old footage? I don't think they, they, they have particularly. And I just wondered how... I, I didn't know, because we hadn't done it, so so I had no idea. But um, I, 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 so I asked the, the, the um, IW and Imperial War Museum to scan three or four minutes of footage at at, four, at, at 2K mm-hmm. and 4K XR. We asked for 2K and 4K. And I said, just just scan just, you know, two or three minutes. You know, I'm not concerned what it actually is, anything you want. And just um, send it down to us and let us have a play with it. Because it was the first thing I was interested in was that. I didn't know what the film was, but I thought, well, let's see what, what the, how well we can restore it. And um, and we spent quite a bit of time playing around with it and happened to do a whole lot of stuff. It's not just one... When you say restoring old film, you're restoring each individual sort of sort of artifact, and it scratches one has has sort of one process. You know, mm. you know the the stability because all the sprocket holes have shrunk over years, so it sort of it sort of jiggers up and down. So you've got mm. to stabilise it all. It's one. There's a different thing. The scratches, the um, the exposures often is, is almost completely black or completely white. It's you know a lot of it is very badly um, exposed or mm. duplicated. There's um, you know the grain is all sorts of sharpening, and then obviously the speed. Um, aspect of it to get it back to normal speed again so every one of those has a whole different approach to it so it's, it's a whole series of things and we took us a while to figure it all out because some of it's not off the shelf software we had to sort of work out different ways of doing it and and eventually anyway the, 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 eventually this film we, we, we saw the results I saw the results and I was absolutely flabbergasted I mean I really I'm, I'm a I mean, you know, I'm not trying to hype it up. It's like I, I had an image in my head of what we maybe could do, what it might look like, and it just exceeded my expectations mm. hugely. It, you, know, you know, the best of it looked like unbelievably modern. It looked like mm. it was stuff that was just, oh, just yeah. been shot now. And this is the black, black and white, you know, you know restoration. Because really all the restoration when you, is in the black and white process. We restore it in black and white, and so we end up with a pristine black and white copy, and the colour is just a little bit of icing on the cake at the end. But anyway, so I was mainly concerned with the black and white restoration, get it to that level, because there's no point doing anything else if you can't. And and then that told me, so so that, that then actually almost it was the beginning of my brain starting to understand what this film should be, because the one thing that jumps out at you in the restoration is the humanity of these soldiers. They become human beings. They stop being these sort of cliched characters that you don't even pay much attention to in this jerky, sped-up, scratchy old film, and they actually become people, you know, they become yeah. real human beings. So I suddenly thought, well, well, hang on, this film is actually about the human beings. This is now a film about these guys. It's not about the generals who aren't in shot or the, or the politicians or the strategy or the tactics. It's not about Passchendaele or the Somme. And we actually completely, we, we, sort, of, we sort of edited out any, any, any reference for the most part to any particular locations in the audio. We, yeah, yeah. But, you know, I, I wanted to make it very agnostic in terms of the actual war itself, just simply what the experience was of being a soldier. And, and I thought that's a, that's a story to tell. It's a human the human common shared experience of the average British soldier on the Western Front. And then I went to the onto the oral side of it, and, and, and you know, the IWM and the BBC have got lots of oral history interviews with veterans. I said, just give me the stuff that you recorded in the 60s and 70s. I don't want feeble old men, you know, who a lot of that was recorded in the 80s and 90s. I mean, mm, they were mm. at the very end of their lives, you know, guys were nearly 100 years old. I, I don't want that, those guys. I just I want much younger people. So 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 give us the youngest that you've got. And fortunately, the BBC did the series of the Great War in 1963. They filmed and recorded um, quite long interviews with about 200 veterans at that time, and um, and they only used a fraction of it in the series. So they were very kindly sort of dug in, and I said, Get, try to find all these tapes. And they found a bunch of them. And then you know a month or two later, they'd 
come back to us. Oh, oh we, 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 we found some more. And then a month or two later, we, you know, yeah, there was more tapes they found. I mean, I don't know where they've got this stuff stored, but it must have been all over the place because they kept <laughs> they kept finding rolls of tape until they were literally giving us tapes that they didn't even know who the guys was. Were, were they? Were they? They'd lost all the records. They never used these tapes, these particular ones, and yeah, yeah. and they didn't even know what their names were. But they gave it to us anyway, and um. And we said, oh, it's okay, we, we can figure out their names, just, just send us the tapes. And then the IWM had a bunch of um, interviews that had done during the 60s and 70s too. So I, so I wanted the voices, for the most part, to be, you know, you know relatively vibrant men. You know, they're really not, they're eight or nine years old, older than I am now. Mm. You know, they're not, you know, I wouldn't describe them the slightest as being <laughs> um, elderly. And so, um, but they were, they were very different to, to some of the old veterans that we'd heard, you know, in, in recent years. You know, they... they they actually were speaking clearly and fast and succinctly and telling really interesting stories and very honest. They, they had no, mm. they weren't hold, holding back. They weren't sort of filtering their stories. They weren't, mm. you know, saying, well, there's a whole lot about the war I could tell you, but I'm not. I'm just going to tell you these sort of little pieces and I'm going to keep a whole lot to myself. They, you know, the best of the interviews were really open, honest. They just said everything, everything I mean, there was to say. There, there are clearly parts of the film that do illustrate the horrors of war. Uh, yeah. But what's, what was interesting to me is that there is pretty much only one recollection that in which someone breaks down. Otherwise, yes. as you say, yep. it is very matter of and fact. And that's actually the only, not in 600 hours of, of tape, that is the only time that I've, I've heard anyone oh, break, wow, break really? down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Uh, and it is, otherwise, as mm. you say, it's incredible how matter of fact it is and how ordinary it all felt. Um, what, what was brought home to me? <laughs> well, they don't, they don't, I'll tell you what it is. They, they're not, I think we've, we've imposed a sort of a victimization on these guys and, uh, and we've imposed a sort of pity on them, you know, you know, there was a generation that got slaughtered. Mm-hmm. You know, we sent them to their deaths, and if they didn't die, they came back, you know, traumatized, and their lives were, you know, they were sort of never the same again, sort of thing. And we, you know, and, and look, some of that's completely true. Well, they were, you know, it was it was a, a, a horribly industrial war, and you know, it was appalling. But what I realized listening to all these tapes is that they didn't feel like that they were victims, mm-hmm. and they didn't feel self pity. They didn't say, you know, why the hell did this happen? You know, I could, I could have done done without this. I, I could have enjoyed my life without being sent to the war. That would have been quite fine, thank you. They actually, a lot of them, surprisingly, many of them said uh, it was the best time of their lives. <laughs> they, they go back again. If they had to do it all over again, no problem. They'd do, they'd do it again. You know, and that was the exact opposite to what, to what I was expecting. And I, yeah. and I think well, we've, we've actually, you know, now in, in the 2000s, when they're not around anymore, we've sort of imposed a... A victimization on them that they, the, the men who were there, didn't feel it. Now, now, one thing I would say, because I think it's a very important thing to say, is that um, you know well, this is a war about the recollections of the of survivors of the war, and I think if you if if, if some of these questions have been asked for the million guys who got killed, mm. they probably would have had a whole different. They yeah. wouldn't probably have agreed with what these guys are saying. I think the ones that didn't come back would have had a whole different feeling about the thing. You know, so you've got to. Unfortunately, we don't have their voices. It's not the story of the men who died. It's the story of the men who survived. I think that is two different stories, you know, really, probably. It's kind of interesting. I kind of saw a bit of a Lord of the Rings parallel. I'm, I'm sure, I'm not sure if it occurred to you, but obviously he went away to, mm. to the war and, and had a, that grueling experience and came mm. back again, mm, mm. which is reflected in the, in those films. Um, yeah, yeah, well, his, a lot of his, his descriptions, um, you know, Mordor and the Dead Marshes, are, you know, he, well, I think he himself even admitted, he didn't, didn't like to admit a lot of that sort of stuff, but he, I think he admitted that, that was he was channeling the, his First World War imagery in his head, you know. I just wanted to go back to the the idea of colorizing mm, yep. this because there's a, there's an incredible transition in the film where it goes from mm. not to give too much away, mm, but it is no. incredible. Uh, where well, it goes from color, black you're and white. allowed to give that away. I can I can give away I can give away yeah. the part of this in color. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Which is you know, yep. going going back to the the idea of the horror of war is is fascinating because you do get these little snapshots of corpses and it's the pop of red 
mm. I think that really brings it home, especially you know, when you when it's it's against that backdrop of mm. of grey and brown mm. and suddenly there's this flash of red. Uh, was mm. that was that part of the reason why you wanted to colorize it or no? I mean, it wasn't because of the blood. No, no, no. I mean, I, I oh, there, 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 you're, you're quite right what you say. Um, no, no, it was, again, it was a process, as I say. I mean, I didn't know at the beginning that we'd be colorizing that started with this whole restoration and what we could do. And, and then when I, when I got to the point where I, I realized this is a story of, you know, the average soldier who was fighting the war, you know, it really, in my head, it coalesces like this is the, this is, this is the, the, the collective story told through 120 different voices, 120 mm. different men tell, you know, it's what they, 120 different men tell one story, which was what it was like to be a British soldier on the Western Front. Starts at the beginning, goes to the end. Doesn't talk about battles or anything. It just talks about you know how they lived and 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 how they what they felt. And so once I realised that that was going to be our film, um, and we were restoring the stuff, you know, I realised well they're not you know if I'm doing that, they certainly didn't see the the war in black and white. One thing they did not see it in is black and white. If they were colour blind, they wouldn't even been allowed, allowed to allowed to join up the army. They would that was that was a no no. You were you weren't admitted into the army if you were colour blind. So um. They saw it in colour. So if I'm actually doing this, this is what I'm actually doing. I'm restoring this footage and I'm using these veterans' recollections about what it was like. I mean, colourising it is a, is a must. It's a necessity because I, you know, because I'm trying to show it. You know, I'm trying to. We're trying to hear what they're saying as they experience it, and we're trying to see the footage in a really restored as they were experiencing it. So it has to be colour. Um, that was a bit of a no-brainer. And because yeah, but you're right. I mean, the thing with colour is that you know you're colourising khaki uniforms and German grey uniforms and mud and grass and various other things, but you're also unfortunately colorizing blood. You, you, you have to. And in fact, even in the black and white footage, you can see blood. You know where blood is. You, you know, you can see, because if someone got a head wound, you know, the, the, the blood is all over their, all over their tunics. It's, mm. it's splattered down their trousers. It's, you know, you know, you know, as anyone cuts their finger, even before yeah. you can, before you can get to the, the band aid, you've dripped blood blood all over your trousers. You've dripped, yeah, blood, yeah. you've dripped, just uh, try, trying to band aid your finger up. It's going it's going all over the place, and um, that's what happens unfortunately. And it's, you know wars are bloody. So I so I didn't want to sanitize. I didn't want to glorify it, but I just wanted to show it as as it was. You know, and I never showed bodies unless the guys spoke about them. You know, so so you know I didn't do it in that way. I didn't just sort of pass the screen. If a guy was talking about you know seeing a guy getting killed, I'd show a dead body. Mm -hmm. If they were mm -hmm. talking about eating a can of a can of bully beef, then we'd show shots of bu <laughs> bully beef. So you know, and I didn't want to. Yeah, overly absolutely. tip it in one way or the other, but I just wanted to sort of do a cross section. You know, you know, I wanted to know to talk about what they were eating and how they slept and where they lived and all this. But also, you know, it would be it would be crazy of me not to do a section on what it was like to actually go into combat. Although the, they went into combat surprisingly little. I mean, I think again we've got an image of people living in trenches for four years, going over the top every other day and you know continuously fighting. I mean, these guys. First World War, a big going over the top offensives happened once or twice a year. Mm -hmm. um, and you were in the trenches about two, four days a month, front the front line trenches. Wow. You, you rotated because the British Army knew that their soldiers would be driven insane if they kept them in the front line. It just wasn't a silly, you know, it was a silly thing for them to do. And it was a, they, where they would have an army of people who were mentally kind of, kind of shattered if they left them in the trenches for too long. So... They had a whole rotation thing where you were in the front line for four days, then you went back to the uh, support line, then the reserve line for like three days at a time, and then you'd have a week, a week off, you know, a week yeah, yeah, yeah. on vacation, which was really not. You they usually roped you into bloody a few days of carrying supplies around and everything else, but sometimes you were allowed to just sort of do sports and everything else in the back line. Then your next four days in the front line would come up again, and you'd yeah. rotate there. So they didn't. They, the soldiers were not on the front line anywhere near as often as what we would all imagine, and. 
And which was, you know, and, and that was, you know, that was because they knew that they couldn't keep them in the front line. They would, they would, they needed them to be, you know, not mad. <laughs> they didn't want insane soldiers. Yeah, they they yeah. wanted, they wanted yeah. people that could actually, you know, function. And then they, um, and and then when you were in the front line, the, the majority of the combat were trench raids, where you would be. T- it was really what the purpose was to capture a German because you know whoever was was opposite you would have information about you know their unit and you know, who they were and what their strength was. So they were continuously running across no man's land to grab a German and haul him back and so that he he could be interrogated. And, and they would, you know, kill Germans along the way if they had to, but to grab, grab a guy and bring him back. And they were trench raids. And that was a, the vast majority of the combat in the First World War were these trench raids. And we actually, mm-hmm. and they actually mm-hmm. we, and we found a film of one, you know, a real one, which we used, you know. Just, you see the, the guys coming back as Yeah, well. you see yeah. them going over and coming back and there's explosions and shrapnel. I mean, it's a real thing. It's and they're walking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which yeah. astonished me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well, they're walking because they're at the British artillery, which you can't quite see them. The British artillery is laying down a, a box barrage on the German trenches. Okay. So so they're walking because the Germans were all sheltering from the British artillery. Yeah, British artillery would be helping support these yeah. trench raids, keeping the Germans' heads down. And, you know, suddenly there'd be British, British soldiers. And they used to go over in very small groups and just sort of sort of thub and, you know, you know club the Germans and bane at them. And, mm. you know, pretty brutal. And they talk about that too. And then they grab some guy by the scrap, the scrap of the neck and... And he'd sort of run, run, run back with them, and that would be the that would be their their trench raid, and and the actual big going over the top stuff was a rarity, but you know I knew that we had to have one of those sort of attack scenes in the film because that was also part of the experience of the First World War, and we certainly didn't I didn't hear any interviews with the six hundred guys who, anyone who never went on a, on a, you know who never went over the top. I mean they all in one form or another depending on what year they were in they all they all had that experience. So I so we assembled that attack you know that's the sequence of the combat sequence from the recollections of a whole bunch of them. So they're all talking about, you know, they're talking about different attacks, you know, that's the thing where, you know, some of them are talking about the attack in the Somme, some are talking about Mon, some are talking about Passchendaele, but, you know, I, I sort of edited them together in a way to give us a, a sort of just a general feeling of combat, telling mm. a sort of a combat story through a whole lot of different voices, but doing it in a sort of a smooth narrative way. Um, but yeah, there's certainly, you know, combat is a bloody violent thing, and, and so once you're in the combat, you've got to be honest about it, and they're very honest. I mean, I was amazed at how many, I mean, I, you know, in the interviews on TV, I've heard, I... You never really hear these old guys talking about killing Germans. You know, you don't really. You know, like these, the ones we had, blokes with interviews we had, were all honest. You know, it was, it was a German here. I shot him. I operated my bolt. I spun him around. I shot. I shot this guy. You know, they just and they just doing it with no. And there was another interview which we didn't actually use, which I always wanted to and never used. Which some guy said, um, you know, when I killed a German, I didn't. I didn't have any hate, hatred in my heart. I didn't kill him because because of hate. I killed him because he was he was going to kill kill me. Yeah. And then you then sort of you know because they didn't hate the Germans. That was the other thing. Yeah, they it, didn't. They didn't hate. They didn't. They, they weren't fighting an enemy that they hated. It wasn't as black and white as World War Two no. by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and they actually, the other thing, interesting thing is they, 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 which I didn't know. And this was something that I didn't have a clue about. Either. I don't know whether I've ever read in the book. It must be somewhere. But I didn't know about it until I heard these interviews. Is that they regarded the Germans not as Germans because Germany was only a country for forty odd years at that point. There was it was a series of states, mm. and as they say, they say that you know the Prussians they kind of quite liked. No, yeah. sorry, sorry. The Saxons they quite liked. Saxons they thought were virtually British, with who spoke German. They thought the Saxons were very the same as the British. You know, mm-hmm. the Bavarians they thought were pretty decent. The the, the Wurttembergers, you know, were fine. But the only the, the real bastards were the Prussians. They didn't. Nobody liked the Prussians, mm-hmm. and to the point that even the Saxons, who they say one guy says, well, the Saxons were opposite us, and they were being relieved by the Prussians, and they held up a big sign for us all to read across. You know that they were they were being relieved. The Prussians are coming in and give give them hell. So the Saxons <laughs> didn't like the Prussians, and they were asking the British to give the <laughs> Prussians hell. And, and that was an aspect of the German sort of side that I actually had no understanding of until I heard heard these heard 
hear these interviews, you, you, you weren't yeah. fighting the Germans, you were fighting the Saxons or the Bavarians or the Prussians, and depending on that, you treated them differently. And the other thing which was really funny, which I didn't put in the film, I, I wanted to, but we never got, we never sort of found room for it, is that if the Prussians were, were opposite you and you had to attack that trench, um, they would never send in the Somerset Regiment or the Kents or anything else. <laughs> they would always send in the Scots. The, 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 the only, if you were actually doing, a, doing an attack and that was definitely the Prussians that you were attacking, yeah. that was a job of the Scots to, to do that. Because <laughs> the Prussians were tough bastards and the only, the, only, the, only, the only bastards in the British army that were tougher were, were, the, were the Scots and they would always be sent in against the Prussians. Yeah. Oh, so that's amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. the, la- the ladies from hell, the Germans called them. <laughs> that was, uh, the, the Germans were ter- terrified of the Scots. I wonder if that still holds true today. Um, there's one last thing I want to ask. Another thing that, that, that tickled me, actually, in this movie uh, mm. is the, the fact that it exposed a universal truth, which is that no matter what the, day, what the year, if you stick a camera in someone's face, they will goof around and they will <laughs> yeah. say, hello, mum. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And we had all these forensic lip readers working on, on looking at our footage, you know, silent footage where they see people talking. And yeah. these are forensic lip readers who work, do work for the police, you know, on security okay. camera footage and all this. It's actually, a, I didn't realise it's actually a career of people <laughs> reading lips, for, mainly for law enforcement work. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we had these people looking at the film and they'd come back and say, yep, this person's saying, hello, mum. Or, is that, uh, is that, is that, is that hello? I mean, I was hoping it would be something more kind of cool and exciting. But, you know, they said, no, 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 this guy's saying hello, hello hi, hi mum. And so that's what we, you know, so we'd... Um, we had a lot of, um, you know, all these silent film of people start talking, so we actually got actors, you know, that were accurate to the particular, yeah. whoever the regiment was, whatever part of the country they were from, we'd get actors from that part of the country to get the right accent right, and we, you know, we came over he- here and did a loop group um, over here for the voices, so they're all British, not Kiwis trying to be, you know, <laughs> British, they're all, you know. And so we, um, and so we, uh, yeah, we, we all the, 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 the the talking of the soldiers, as opposed to the narration of the of the veterans, the talking of the soldiers is actually all forensically lip read, and you know, and, and I know it must be accurate because once you put it in there, their lips match oh, fine, yeah. and yeah. You, so you know it's actually the real right thing, you know. So yeah, interesting, yeah. Hello, mum. Hello, mum. Mm, yeah. Well, I'm also a huge fan of Forgotten Silver, mm. uh, your other kind of document, obviously not a real documentary. Oh, that was that was that's, that's a very authentic documentary. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I, I was worried that after Forgotten Silver, no one would ever take me seriously with documentaries that I'd be forever. You know, anything I do would be would be a sort of suspect. So anyway, but, uh, I, can, yeah. I can assure people there's nothing made up in this, this one. Anyway. <laughs> but that must have been a fun one to research, to kind of recreate. Forgotten Silver? Forgotten Silver, yeah. Yeah, well, Forgotten Silver, look, the fact that Forgotten Silver fooled so many people, which it did, I think was because we did actually treat it as seriously as we possibly could. Yeah, we we didn't make fun of it. We sort of tried to make it as well. Because if you're going to want to trick people, you you've got to yeah you've got to make them believe it by making it as authentic as you possibly can. Yeah, there was a lot of period detail gone in, mm. gone into that and a lot of research. Well, I did the opposite and forgotten silver. I was filming silent movie film with a with a color sixteen millimeter camera, and I had to had to then turn it around and make it look like old silent film. So I actually sort of in a way I I'd done the restoration process in reverse by by actually. Because I had to study very closely when Forgotten Silver what old black and white film really looks like. I mean, you know, you, you get apps on your phone now where you can sort of press the old. So, but this, even those aren't real at all. They just put some scratches in and, and and flickers. But you know, if you study old black and white silent film, it has a particular kind of, you know, it has particular flaws, I guess you say, or or or, or uh, damage over hundred years time. That's it's just very, it's very specific. And so, in Forgotten Silver, I was where I really studied it and I put all that stuff into the into our fake footage. So this time round, I, I sort of knew, knew even at the beginning what, what, what we had to do in reverse to actually get the, the, the original footage, the real footage, you know, back into, into a modern look, you know. And it, was, it was the reverse uh, process. 
but I, uh, done in a very different way, done in a very much more sophisticated way. Do you think this might open the doors to I know colorization kind of came through and everyone was rejected? And you mm. think that, but imagine with this technology, that you could you know turn an old black and white film into a very convincing. Kind of well, I'm not. I'm not. I don't really interested in colorization as a, as a sort of a gimmick, if you like, or if you know, you know, for us, we were colorizing it because that's how the soldiers saw the war. And if we left it black and white, we'd actually have been not doing accurate. It would not be accurate. You know, the, mate, or the way to make it accurate was to colorize it. But however, what, but to, what, what I do hope, see, no one's seen this film until now, and we've been working on it for a couple of years and keeping our mouths shut and keeping it all secret. Because I was, un, I was, un, I was amazed at how good this restoration was, and and um, now it's finally come out. What I am hoping is that all these different archives around the world that are ho- holding all this old film, and not just First World War film, I mean, it's, it's pre-First World War film and it's stuff from the twenties. You know, you know, you know, sort of. And I don't even, I'm not even talking about, you know, Buster Keaton and Charlie Chaplin films. I'm thinking about sort of, you know, social films, you know, like documentary type footage of historic events. And, you know, I mean, I'm hoping that archives around the world will suddenly sit up and with their, with their jaws dropping and think, you know, can our film be turned to that? And it, yeah. yes, yes, it can. Any old film with the process we're using can be made to look incredibly, you know, you know, not, you know, I wouldn't, I mean, modern isn't the word of it's Queen Victoria's. You know, you know, 60th, you know, Jubilee. I mean, that's not you can't ever call that modern footage, but 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 it is. You could make it look fantastic, and um, you know, and I, I hope archives really start to do that now. Why, why not? That you know, computers have got to be good for something, and that's. Yeah. And why leave all this film sitting in archives looking like it does now when you can, re- relatively easily. Now we figured it all out. You can relatively easily make it look fantastic. So it was relatively easy. It, it, it is now. Seem, it wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't at the time. But we ultimately, once we, it's like a special sauce, you know. You know, you know the, the eleven secret herbs and spices. Once we figured out what each of those eleven secret herbs and spices was, which took us pretty forever, and we had to write code for some of those secret spices. You know, we had to write, <laughs> we had to figure it all out. But once we had actually done it all, we we, we sort of autom- you know, we automated the process reasonably well. You know, and, and it's always you've always got to go in by hand and, and fix things that didn't quite work. The automation, but we've got it. You know, pretty. We can. I mean, I've, we've restored this film is now forty minutes long. But we've uh, we've restored over a hundred hours of film for the Imperial War Museum. I said to wow. them as part of the process, I said, "Look, well, it's just at least you know, as well as doing the movie that we're making, you know, this um, you know, they, they shall not grow old. Let's you're going to send me all this film to look at to see what I want to use in the in the doco. Anything you send me, we'll just restore it. Anything, even the stuff that we don't use, we'll restore it. Now we, we now the colorizing we did we did just that for the stuff and the footage used in the film." But they ultimately sent us about a hundred hours of footage, and we we restored every every single minute. You know, um, so that's because it's ultimately not that difficult. And I've said to them, I actually had a meeting with them lunch today, and I said, hey, look, you know, you should just anything that you haven't seen us yet, just keep sending it because we, we don't just stop now. Just we'll try and get through your entire first world, first world war archive and restore the lot for you for free. You know, so the Blu-ray might have quite a lot of extras, <laughs> deleted scenes. Well, they could, you know, they've got all these. You go into their store. Mm. Imperial War Museum, and they've got like a you know, Battle of the Somme movie that they've, it says it's a restored version. Well, it's restored, it was restored in 2006, sure, and it was maybe better than the original, but, you know, I said, I said to them, you should have got to release the Battle of the Somme now, which is a 1916 movie, because we've restored that, but they sent us that, and we restored, restored it, and we, we use odd shots of that here and there, but, you know, it's like they um, they have, you know, it, you know, it sort of renders everything prior to now as completely redundant, really, it's, it's all, you know. But um, um, I hope that we, you know, I hope other archives do the same thing now. Mm. Am I am I correct in thinking that you're using some of this technology to restore bad taste? Well, how, brain how, why would you say that? Because I am no no. Because there's been a, people have always said to me when you know because I haven't sort of released those films on Blu-ray because I I haven't been happy with them. 
Um, and there's been a lot of you know, people have asked me because I've got all the rights to those ones back. And sure, you, I mean, you can get them online in these old mm. you know, versions. But anything from those films that is available is like 1990s telecine things, which was the best that we had at the, on, at the day. And you know, and, and but you know, compared now, it looks they look bloody awful. And I just haven't ever re-released them because I thought, well, if I do, I want them to look really good. And, and we actually were going to release re-release them you know, a few years ago, and we we restored them. And I still thought, God, they still look like crap. <laughs> um, but we've now put, we've now done some experiments where we put bad taste, and uh, I think the brain did through our World War One process. Okay, and they look bloody fantastic. They look like they're shot in thirty-five mil. Wow. They look fantastic. So yeah, you because know, they're all sixteen millimeter films, and and our World War One process makes them look a hell of a good. So we're now yeah, what we are, uh, well now what we'll do now is like, I think the time has arrived now for me to to uh, get really nice, you know, you know, four K copies of these old sixteen mil films. Um, Fully restored and back out and into circulation again. So it's the world ready there for meet well, the feebles uh, in, uh, in 4K. Yeah, I, well, it doesn't matter. I don't care. They, they, <laughs> they're they're going to have to suck, suck it up anyway. <laughs> I can't yeah. wait. Yeah. As someone who regularly quotes me to feebles on this podcast, uh, <laughs> I am very, very happy well, about that. Most of the people that you're talking to don't know what, what the hell you're talking about. Oh, if people listen to this podcast, I will mention meet the feebles at some point. If, you, if, you, if, you, if anyone knows meet the feebles, I always think they're a special human being, a, 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 a superior human being. <laughs> oh, you're a great judge of character. So, so you, what can you I say? You have to know your stuff to know meet the feebles. <laughs> It's been talked about a lot recently because mm. of the Happy Time Murders. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah well, I, I read about that. I read that stuff as well. Yeah, I never, I never saw that film, but um. <laughs> it, it's not, it's not quite in the same vein. It's not in the Tries same to be, not quite. probably not dirty yeah. enough. I mean, we were just young and naive, and we're just trying to be as obscene as we possibly could. <laughs> you know, we didn't. We just, you know, that was the fun of that film was to be as dirty and smutty as we could possibly be, and that was the uh, that was the motivation behind everything in that film. How, <laughs> how shocking could we possibly be? And I don't think even now I could ever do, do that again. I just we, we, it's something something that you do when you're when you're young and you, and uh, you have no boundaries. You know, was that the hardest shoot? Because I've read about that shoot. It's kind of legendary. You're in a warehouse of yeah. seagulls and yeah. Well, ever, all shoots are hard, I guess. But um, it was tough. That one. I mean, that was the only shoot that I've ever had where I was I was I was on the verge of getting fired by the New Zealand Film Commission. For God's sake, as if they could fire anybody. I don't know, and 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 I, you know, they were sort of, you know, well, and, and look, I, I got to be fair because we were going over budget, so fair enough. I mean, they, no reason they should be spending money when they when we sold them. The budget was one thing, and we, and they, we kept asking for more and more money because it was too, it was very hard for them to make. But um, so you know, they had their reasons, but um, you know, we ended up, we ended up telling them that we stopped filming because they said you got to film, you got to stop filming on Friday, and we hadn't finished it. So oh my god, so we said, yep, yeah, we've stopped, we've stopped filming, we're not doing it anymore because then they would have fired me. And you said we, they said you've got to be editing whatever you've shot. You've just got to go into the cutting room now, Peter, and start to cut this. And they were sort of keeping an eye on the cutting room. They were watching me, which I was, which I did do. And then it, when it got dark, about seven o'clock at night, the crew would all meet up in the warehouse, in this warehouse, and we'd um, continue shooting without them knowing. And that was great because it was a real guerrilla stuff. So I'd be shooting during the night, showing up at the cutting room with the film commission, sort of staring at me, you know, you know, as tired as all hell, but pretending I was I'd had a good night's sleep. And um, and we would did that for about two or three weeks, just shooting it you know, ourselves secretly. We called it the Frogs of War because we were because when you shoot, you've got to you've got to put a name on the on the neg when you send it into the lab to get processed. And and I didn't want to call it the Feebles, so we made it look like we made it seem like it was a whole different movie. The Frogs of War was called. <laughs> I always say, if you want to see one film in your life in which a series of puppets reenact the Russian roulette scene from The Deer Hunter, 
<laughs> Go and see. It's a limited list. Probably, probably have one, so I don't think you're being particularly yeah. profound. I don't know. There's Meet the Feebles and the, the Director's Cut of Muppet Christmas Carol, uh, but otherwise, oh, okay. right. otherwise okay. it's those two. Okay. Um, All right. okay. And uh, I've got to ask, we've got to let you go in a second, Peter. I, un- I understand you've made some films about uh, Lord of the Rings, but we'll, we'll talk about, hopefully you come in another time, we'll talk about those then. Mm, but don't, um, don't, don't remember did those. they ring a bell? They ring no, a bell? I Hobbits? Can't. Hobbits? Nothing? No, nothing? No, okay. I, I, vaguely, but I can't. <laughs> vaguely. I uh, and Nick here. It'll, it'll come to me if I think, think about is it. a massive fan of the Frighteners, uh, and I know yeah. he's dying mm. to ask you a question mm. about the Frighteners. Mm. So. Well, I'm just curious because Jake Busey in mm-hmm. August... Uh, said in an interview to somebody that there is yes, a, a five-hour cut of The Frighteners. <laughs> and as a, as a person yeah. who has seen The Frighteners countless times, loves mm. Milton Dammers, um, mm, no. there's no truth to this? No, I don't know what, what he was thinking. I mean, he's, look, he's a nice guy. And no, no, there was a um, there was footage we cut out, but we did end up doing an extended Frighteners on a laser disc or something, I remember. Which probably, I've seen it. And, yeah, and, I, think, uh, I think most of the stuff we shot went in back in there. No, 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 there's no big secret hoard. No, God, no, it'd be crazy. No, no, no. Because if you do that, you're wasting so much money. I mean, it means that you've got a budget that you've only got, you know, you know, a quarter of the budget on screen, and the rest of it is sitting in some cans of film, which you know happens to a little, to a limited degree. You as always, you know, scenes that you don't put in the movie, but not, yeah. not like four hours worth. No, no. We've had uh, no. Jeffrey Coombs on this podcast. He speaks very highly of the experience. Mm. Is it a one that you look back at fondly? Oh no, I, I, I loved it. Yeah, I mean, because in a way, I was working with a lot of people I had really admired. You know, I mean, obviously Michael Fox, I is a great guy, and, and it was fun working with him. And Jeff, I mean, the yeah, reanimator was a huge fan of the of the the reanimator films, and Jeff, you know, and and um, D D Wallace, I was, you know, she was a great genre genre actress, and so I was just, you know, I just got all the people I'd love love watching in other films, and in my my movie, I was reading, it was a real fan film. Chris quotes me the Feebles, I quote the Frighteners. I love the mm. line, Sheriff, you are violating my territorial bubble. Bubble, yeah, right, right. <laughs> yeah. I say often. Right. Fair enough, too. I'm sure this, I'm sure he doesn't think he's almost he's almost in danger of violating your territorial bubble. Now, one, two, 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 more, two, two more inches and you're being yeah. vi- violated. I can assure you. Burst. Yeah. There's lots of uh, territorial bubbles nearly being violated here. In fact, we have violated yours for too long and we will let you go now, sir. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, and hopefully you come in again and we'll talk about those... Um, Oh, what's it called? Uh, ring, ring, I'd have to. Rings. I'd have to. I'd, I'd have to be hip, hypnotized to try and <laughs> try and remember all that stuff. It's it like a up. sort of a, a crime, and and you, you only have deep deep hypnosis to to recollect the details. But yeah. maybe you, we can get hypnosis in here, well, and, we, and we can do that. So. And we had dozens of, of listener questions as well, which we never got round to. Um, I'll throw one at you really quickly because it's amazing. Tamps on Twitter asks: You're Santa in hot fuzz, yeah. crazy or just misunderstood? Um, well, I, 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 you know, I, I, no, I think he was crazy. <laughs> well, that's the way I was playing it anyway. If, if, he, if it's misunderstood, then my subtlety of my performance was not really appreciated. <laughs> crazy, is it? Amazing. It's crazy. Fantastic. Okay. Peter Jackson, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That was Peter Jackson, and that is it for this interview special. Hope you enjoyed it. If you don't already, please do subscribe to the Empire Podcast. There's a regular episode out every Friday and keep them peeled for more specials like this one. Oh, and do give us nice five-star reviews on iTunes if you can find the time. Always helps. Right, that's enough for me. I'm off to dream about a giant hippopotamus puppet going on the rampage in glorious 4K. Thanks for listening. Bye.